Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. The importance of praying for others who are facing the same needs and issues that you are. And we talked about Abraham. We're going to read this chapter tonight. I simply referred to it last time, but it's not a long chapter in Genesis chapter 20. But to give you the background, Abraham, of course, who's known as the father of the faith. I'm just going to do a quick, quick recap of what we talked about Wednesday because it's, it's really important groundwork for where I'm really going this morning. And I don't have a long message, even though we are going to read a whole chapter of the Bible. Abraham, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he told him, he says, and this is the early chapters of the Bible. This is really where things really get moving after creation and the flood and everything else. Then God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He says, go to a land that I'm going to give you and your descendants. I'll show it to you when you get there. You just get moving. Leave your family. Leave everything behind. You go there. And I'll show you when you get there. I'm going to make you walk the length and breadth of it. And I'll show you this is going to be yours. And it's going to be for your descendants. And by the way, your descendants are going to number as the sands on the seashore. They're going to be uh, uncountable like the stars in the sky. And this is interesting because Abraham was not a young man when God made him this promise. His wife was not a particularly young woman. And they had no children yet. But he makes him this promise. You'll have descendants. So they go to this land, they're obedient to God, they're blessed in this land. Abraham didn't do everything right. I preached a sermon years ago on at least five things Abraham did wrong, but God's plan continued through him. And God's ultimate plan with those descendants was to bring Jesus into the world. This is why God started the Jewish race with Abraham. It was through Abraham that he was ultimately going to bring Jesus into the world, a savior for the world. That's what God was talking about when he said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a blessing, and in you all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was Jesus he was talking about. So anyway, tells Abraham to move. I'm going to give you descendants. It's going to start with a son. Fifteen years later, God reiterates the promise. I will give you a son. You and Sarah are going to have a son together. Because Abraham had tried to take things into his own hands, and and, uh, it was Sarah's idea that Abraham would get uh, get her servant pregnant, and this would be their son through her servant. And God said, no, that's not my plan. It's going to come through Sarah. And uh, this was getting harder and harder to believe because they were older. And then about nine, ten years later, God shows up actually in the form of a man. God, it's a three, these three men or angelic beings, one of them being a, uh, a, a physical form of God, of, of the, the pre-incarnate Christ, to tell Abraham, next year. We're getting close now. The time is coming. And then there's some other things happen, uh, most significantly Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we see this in... Uh, where did I say go? Genesis chapter 20, right? Let's read this. It's not a very long chapter, but I want you to see everything because we're going to come back to one verse and zero in on it. And Abraham, beginning in verse 1, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now this is, Sarah is uh, a very beautiful woman, even though she's getting up there in years at this point. And the reason he did that, he knew she was beautiful, and he was afraid that these people who were strangers to him would kill him just to get his wife. 
So to make it look like he wasn't a threat, he said, ah, she's my sister, which technically was true, half-sister, right? But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman, who, uh, because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she, even she herself, said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, yeah, I would too, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? What were you thinking? And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. And every place wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pe- your brother, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And let's read the next two verses, the first two verses of the next chapter. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Now, what we focused on Wednesday night, even though we've got to be careful, we don't want to turn this into a formula, but as I said, even though it doesn't state a specific cause and effect relationship, this, the birth of Isaac, the child that they had longed for for 25 years. This is what they had been believing for. God had promised, and they're like, yes, we want this. There have been times during this, during the 25 years between the promise and its fulfillment where they began to, things began to look desperate. But when it manifested in their life was when they prayed for somebody else who had the same problem. God had closed all the wombs in the household of Abimelech because of Sarah. And when they prayed... For Abimelech's healing and his wife's healing and the healing of his household, then the household of Abimelech was fertile. And they bore children. And the very next thing that Scripture records is that Sarah herself received that promise. She bore a son. And what we looked at and the the takeaway was one of the best things you can do if you are fighting a particular battle is to pray fervently for somebody who's 
fighting a similar battle. We don't have to be selfish with our prayers. It doesn't mean we can't pray for ourselves too. We absolutely should pray, seek the Lord, and speak his word over our lives and our circumstances. But we can't say, well, once I get mine, then I'll start praying for other people. Because God is infinite, and we need to be generous with our prayers. Now, here is what I want you to see, and you may have seen it. It may have jumped off the page at you, but we did not look at it Wednesday night. Go back to verse 7 of chapter 20. This is God speaking to Abimelech in the dream. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Now we see from this conversation that Abimelech had with God in this dream. You know, God wakes him up, you're a dead man. You took another man's wife. And Abimelech says, I didn't know. They both said that she was his sister. And God, and he thought, you, you, and he charges God, you know what, I'm essentially innocent. I understand I've done something wrong, but I didn't know it was wrong. And you're going to kill me for it? And God says, I know you did it in the integrity of your heart. That's why I didn't let you sleep with her. But you need to restore her. Because Abraham is my guy. He will pray for you. Now, this is my question. Why did Abraham have to pray? Just going from the conversation that God and Abimelech were having, God knows, hey, look, Abimelech really didn't do anything wrong on purpose. I kept him from actually sinning against me. I'm going to see to it that he restores Sarah. Why couldn't God, would we have even noticed it? If God had simply said, uh, hey, look, this is my guy. You made a mistake. I know you didn't mean to, so restore her and you will live. Why include Abraham will pray for you? Because if we read through this, if God had just simply killed Abimelech, it would be one of those where we're like, what did you do that for? Abimelech didn't know. So we know God's not going to kill Abimelech. God says, I know. You did it in the integrity of your heart. But he started with, you're a dead man. He says, you've got to restore her. But he also said, he's a prophet and he will pray for you and you live. He invites, think about this, I mentioned this. In the previous chapter, we have the, the episode of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, God appears to Abraham. He says, at this time, according to the time of life, I will visit Sarah and she will bear a child. And then, you know, and, they, and Abraham prepares them this meal. Has Sarah prepare this meal, they share it, and they get done. And as they're leaving, God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to, you, about to do? Because he's surely going to become a great nation. What was he about to do? They were on their way to visit judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their great evil, the great sin. So, instead, so they tell Abraham. They invite Abraham into this conversation. And then one of, these, this, one of the most fascinating scenes in the Bible takes place where Abraham says, I understand, and I'm putting this as the Scott Millis translation. Lord, I understand, sinful city, sinful community, but what if there are 50 righteous people in that sinful city? Are you going to kill them too? So interesting that God doesn't say, no, I'll pull all the righteous people out first. What he says is, I'll spare the whole city if there's 50 righteous people in it. And Abraham, well, 
What if there are only 40? I'll spare it for 40. What if there's only 30? I'll spare it for 30. What if there's only 20? I'll spare the whole city for 20. One last question, Lord. What if there's only 10? Then I'll spare it for 10. And again, I personally am convinced that Abraham thought there had to be at least 10. So now here's my question. Why was Abraham concerned for Sodom and Gomorrah? Because his nephew Lot lived there. There weren't 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God still got Lot and his family out. But he didn't spare the city. Why? Because Abraham stopped at 10. So the question again, relating to what we're talking about today, if God was going to get Lot and any of the righteous people out of the city anyway, why tell Abraham about, why involve Abraham in this, congrega- uh, this conversation? Because God, Abraham did not specifically ask God to spare Lot. He said, won't you, well, you start off with, won't you spare the righteous? And God says, I'll spare the whole city on, on behalf of the righteous. But Abraham never specifically asked him to spare it on account of Lot. He stopped at 10. I wish he hadn't. <laughs> People of Sodom and Gomorrah wish he hadn't. So God rains down judgment on the city, but he gets the righteous people out of there. Why did he tell Abraham in the first place? I am utterly convinced that the reason he told Abraham about it in the first place was that so Abraham would intercede and pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. Just like this happened twice with God and Moses. He, he, he pulls this... The, the Israelites, oh my goodness, don't have time to rehash the whole thing. But you know, when God pulls uh, Israel out of Egypt, he's bringing them to the promised land. He shows them all this great power, just all the mighty things he did to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. And they keep turning. The, I mean, they're, they're barely, I mean, they, they had seen everything. They'd seen the smoking mountain. They'd seen the plagues. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea, drowning Pharaoh's army. And Moses is gone for a few days, and what do they do? Moses must be dead. We need a new, new leader. We need a new God. Aaron, you're in charge. Make us, make, us, make us a God. And he does. He makes them this golden calf, and they start worshiping it. And God says, all right, Moses, stand here on this mountain with me. I'm going to wipe them out. I've had it. They're stubborn. They're stupid. They're pig-headed. I'm going to kill them, and I'll start all over with you. I'll make a great nation out of you. And Moses says, don't do it, Lord. If you do that, the Egyptians will hear about it. And it's going to make you look bad. They're going to say, oh, God who did all these great things in front of us was, still wasn't able to deliver his people. So God spared Israel. Later on, same thing, almost identical conversation, only this time Moses said, Lord, if you're going to kill them, kill me. I'm going to stand with them. So if you kill them, you're going to wipe me out too. And it was Moses' intercession that saved Israel on both counts. Now, the question I have is if God is going to, if he's really determined to kill Israel, to wipe out this, this young nation. Why tell somebody about it who's just going to pray that they don't? Does God say, oh man, I wish I hadn't said anything to Moses because he talked me out of it. Or is that, was that even what happened, that God is just so mad and then Moses just sort of soothes God, God's ruffled feathers and calms him down? <sighs> yeah, okay, all right, all right, I won't do it this time. That's almost what it looks like, but that's not what's going on at all. It goes back to the very idea of authority and dominion. You know, if God is going to do what God is going to do, again, why tell anybody and give them the opportunity to pray? If God is going to do what God is going to do, why do we bother praying anyway? Well, God, God is God. 
my prayers don't change God, so, well, so, so then why pray? Well, they don't change God's nature. But you see, it goes back to Adam and Eve. God made Adam the Lord of this earth. That's what the word dominion means. And that's exactly what he told them. Go, have dominion over the earth. Exercise authority over the earth. Subdue it. And then when Adam sinned, he essentially ceded that authority to the serpent, to the devil. And mankind labored under that ruler until the time of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ took the penalty of sin on the cross and rose from the dead, he took that, the keys of the kingdom. He took that authority back. And who, what did he do with it? Anybody know? Gives it to us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. I give you authority over unclean spirits. I give you authority over sickness and disease. I give you authority. Uh, you'll trample on serpents and scorpions. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is the authority that he's, this is the authority of Adam that has been given back to us. But we still live in a world where billions are not yet free from the power of sin. Sin itself, the very presence of sin is so pervasive it plays havoc with nature, with circumstances, with our health. And the battle we face as believers is to walk in our God-given authority in that pervasive presence of sin. And the greatest weapon we have is prayer. God, in his sovereignty, we say, well, okay, are there any limits on God? God is infinite. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He is limitless in power. And so, and so when people talk about, well, your, your prayers can't change God. There are no limits on God. That's heresy. I can't limit God. But God, in his sovereignty, has limited himself to doing only what we ask him to do. Wesley said that. He said, God does nothing except that men ask him, except what men pray for. That can't be. God is God. That makes us God. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't, because he tells us exactly what to pray for. He tell, this is what the word is about. Here is my word. Here is my will. So ask me to do that and expect me to do that. And then when things go bad, things go bad in the world, and we say, boy, what kind of rotten, what kind of capricious, evil, uh, malignant God do we serve when we look at all the suffering in the world? That's not God. That's a sin-sick world still laboring under the, under the, the illusion that the devil has all this authority. That's people who have not yet learned to take that authority back. Well, when does it end? It ends when Jesus himself comes back and the devil is in chains. You've heard me say it before. Jesus took the punishment of sin. He has redeemed us from the power of sin, but we are not yet free from the presence of sin, but we will be. That's when things get really good. 
Meanwhile, things can be good for us, but we have to take these things. Uh, Why does God allow all this stuff? We need to start with where we are. What are we going to allow in our lives? What can we do? What can we say? What can we ask for? What can we claim? What can we believe? Faith changes things. One of my favorite, perhaps my favorite healing, well, probably my favorite healing in the New Testament is, is John chapter 9, the healing of the blind man, because I love the whole conversation that goes on. But when it comes to faith, I like to think and meditate on the healing of the centurion's servant. You remember that? Jesus is walking with his disciples, and the guy comes and he says, I, would you please come heal my servant? Uh, and Jesus says, yeah. Where's, where? and, and the Jews have said, you know, this, this, this is a guy, he's a Roman, but he's good. He gives alms, he believes in our God. And Jesus says, I'll come heal him. And the servant says, you don't need to go anywhere. Just speak the word. I understand authority because I'm under authority, and I have men under me who I'm in authority over. So I understand what authority means, and I see that you've got authority. So if you'll just say he's healed, he's healed. And Jesus, who, Jesus, who had told other people, don't tell anybody about this. He had to go to Jairus' house. He had to physically be in the presence of his daughter. And he raised her from the dead. But then he said, don't say a word about this. But then the centurion does this, and he says, look, I have not seen such great faith in all Israel. This is what I want you to model your faith on. Would you just believe my word and receive this stuff so you don't have to see a flash of light? You don't have to feel something? I don't need to physically be in your presence? Will you just believe that if I say it, it's true? So everything that we are praying for boils down to, has God said anything about it? Has God said anything about sickness and healing? He has. Going way back to the early Old Testament, I am the Lord who heals you. I am the guy, I'm God, your healer. Up through the whole ministry of Jesus, who healed every sickness, every disease, every single person who came to him for healing got healed. And then he says to his disciples, you want to see what God looks like? Look at me. I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. Well, then why is there any sickness in the world if God is a healer? Because people aren't living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But I know saved people who are sick, who die of sickness. So do I. I know. How many of you know saved people who sin? I want to see a show of hands. How many of you are a saved person who sins? Can you tell me honestly that when you sin, it's God's will? Is God controlling every aspect of your life? Are there things that happen every day to believers and through believers that God doesn't originate? Does that mean God is not sovereign? It means in his sovereignty, he has chosen to give us freedom, to give us choices, even bad ones. He's still God. He still loves us. I believe we're still saved. I didn't lose my salvation when I cussed out my wife this morning. I did, I did not cuss my wife out. Not this morning. I, no. See me before we put this message out, Roger. 
And that means man, there are things we're going we're gonna to continue in this, as long as we are living in this fallen world, until we achieve perfection, we are going to make mistakes and we are going to continue to see things happen around us and we're going to see things happen to people that I just will not and cannot from Scripture believe are happening just because God, well, and God in the mysterious inscrutable counsel of his will has willed it so. No! There are some things I see in his word and I say, this is not what I'm seeing. There's a conflict here. God says I'm healed. Doctor says I'm not. Or my body says I'm not. What are we going to remain loyal to? Well, because we are physical, fleshly creatures, we typically, our first response, our uh, sort of our uh, trained response is, well, I believe what I feel. I believe what I see. I can see what the word says here. I can see what Jesus did, but I know what I'm feeling. I know what I'm fighting. But we can choose to remain loyal to the promise of God. And then what do we do? Where's, where is, I guess, the, the, the action point? Okay? I've decided I will believe. Now what? I believe Jesus really did bear my sickness with those stripes on his back just as surely as he bore my sin when he was on the cross. But I still feel sick. Now what do I do? You pray and you speak. And your prayers can't be, oh, Lord God, I pray that you would will to heal me. And if it's your, not your will to heal me, then I pray that you give me strength to bear this sickness. We have to start with what we know about the will of God. And there's nothing in there. Nothing. This is why the, by the way, this is why the, the sermon on Paul's thorn is so important, especially when it comes to healing. There's nothing in the word of God that convinces me or even comes close to convincing me that sickness is God's will for his people. Have I learned things through sickness and disease? I have. That's not the way I had to learn them. That's God pulling something good out of something bad. Plain and simple. People have learned things through tragedy and loss. I have read great stories, you have too, of men and women who have suffered the murder of loved ones, lost people to tragedy and, tragedy and violence, and, they still, and then they come out and say, and yet, here is why I'm closer to God today. You don't have to blame God for the tragedy or for the crime to get that lesson. That's something bad happening in God saying, I still love you and I will still bring good out of this. It's not God saying, this is the only way I can teach you this. Kapow! God will be God over everything we give him. So when we are facing something in our life that does not line up with, doesn't line up with what we know to be God's will, speak to that thing. And when it's sickness, we speak to the sickness. I will not remain sick. I will not accept this as God's will for my life. I speak health. I speak life. I receive by faith the healing that Jesus paid such a dear price for. I receive it just as surely as I receive my forgiveness. And I will walk free. I will walk free of this thing. I will be strong. My strength is not diminished. My eye is not dim. I will live and not die and declare the wonderful works of the Lord. And say it again and say it again and say it again. And keeping in line with what more or less emerged as the theme of this fast, pray it just as passionately for your brothers and your sisters. When you see them fighting a battle, don't just say, there was this, uh, you remember, uh, it was one of those all-star bands it wasn't uh we are the world it was the uh what was the one before that no 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 it was the it was the british version of we are the world anybody remember this 
there's a line in there that, that, that I think Bono of, of, of U2 sang. Where it's talking about the, the starving people, and he says, uh, well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. Remember that? Tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. Remember this? Anybody remember that song? Am I singing it that poorly that you don't remember? I get Jerry, thank you for the hearty nod there. Yes, yes, that's it, Scott. We wouldn't recognize that in 100 years because of your terrible singing voice. Do they know it's Christmas time? That's it. Thank you. Anybody remember that song? Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Feed the world. So anyway, tonight, thank God it's them, it's, it's them instead of you. No, that's a terrible prayer. Thank God those people are starving and not me. Thank God I got mine. God bless me, my wife, my son John, his wife, us four, no more. No, our God is a big God. And he desires healing for people who don't know it's his will for them to be healed. So I want to pray passionately that people will know God as healer and that they will receive their healing. And I want to love people enough to pray just as passionately for their healing as I do for mine. To fight just as hard for their healing as I do for mine. And their provision and their deliverance, their freedom, their wholeness, their restoration, all these things. Because we're a body. And if my focus is all about, well, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm whole, I'm supplied. And boy, I hope everybody gets to my level one of these days. I hope they're just as happy as I am. I'm missing something. Because I really cannot be. I cannot be everything and do everything God has called me to do apart from you guys because we are a body and I can be the strongest finger in the world but if the rest of my hand if the things connecting this finger to the hand and the hand to the arm and the arm to the shoulder and the shoulder to the torso and everything else to everything else I can't, that finger can't do anything by itself no matter how much I take care of that finger it is in the finger's best interest to do everything it can do. Hey, there's an itch. My finger is going to scratch that itch. It's not going to sit there. Well, I don't itch. I wish the back didn't itch, but ha, ha, ha. No, if my back itches, it's going to bother my finger too. Whole body needs to be healthy. I have a vested interest in you doing well. I have a vested interest in you receiving your healing receiving your provision, walking in his protection, and manifest blessings in every, every area of your life. And then when we are healthy, not only are, when the whole body's healthy, but every part feels good, then what? That body can do more. This local body can do more to change this community and change this world. What ultimately is our job? To be witnesses to the power of Christ, to the, to the very person of the, the risen Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. Remain, tarry here in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high. Then you'll be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days hence, and then you will receive power to be my witnesses. That has got to be our core. That has got to be our center. That is our mission, witnessing vocally and with our lives the risen Christ. You make it the center of your life, I'll make it the center of mine, and then what happens? He's the center. Jesus, be the center of your church. He can't be the center of this church if he's not the center of your family. He can't be the center of your family if he's not the center of, of your life. 
It's a decision we make. Amen? But we're going to pray for a couple things specifically right now. I want to do this first. It might seem a little backwards, but we're going to do this first. Uh, there are two people that I have mentioned, besides Dad. You'll be giving you Dad updates uh, from time to time. And he's, you know, he's still rehabbing, still believing God for a, a healing miracle. His confession is still good. His spirits are still up. His body's still, you know, not where he wants it to be, not where I believe God wants it to be. I trust you're all still praying for him, right? Uh, there's two people here today that I want to pray for. Uh, one of you got an email about Todd, uh, who is scheduled for heart surgery tomorrow. Now, I don't know how many of you, I know his small group has. Todd, raise, raise your hand. Uh, he and I were such great friends back in high school. <laughs> I always joke. Uh, you may have heard me say it. You know, we didn't have a, how many people were in our class? Less than 100, right? Or 100-ish? Uh, if you had me make a list on graduation day, who are the people you're most likely to be close to uh, 20 years from now, 40 years from now. Uh, I didn't hate Todd, but he would have been low on that list. He just kind of, we were in completely different worlds, man. And so it's been such a pleasure, not just having him here as part of this church, but for the friendship that's developed. I mean, he's, 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 he's a good brother to me. And, uh, but, uh, you know, in, in our conversations, the time we've been, been able to spend together, he's told me, man, the stuff he's been through, the different surgeries, and uh, he's been hammered. Uh, a lot of different ways in life. And so, and that just makes it more of a blessing to see how cheerful he is, how up he is. And he goes in uh, not too long ago for, I don't know if it was a checkup or what, but they, they discover a heart murmur that, that was, had apparently either just developed or had just up until then not been detected. And uh, kind of uh, looked like maybe it was something they would have, they would go in through a, a vein or an artery and correct. And so it was kind of a blow when they come back and say, you need to have open heart surgery, which he's scheduled for tomorrow. Now, that's pretty serious surgery. And uh, it's not something he's like, oh, well, another surgery. You know, it, it hit him. It would. It would hit anybody hard. So I, I let you know in that, in that mail, that email that, that, uh, we, that I wanted you to pray for him. I want us to pray for him today. And I'm going to have him come up here in a minute. But I want to let you know something. Here's what we're believing for. We're believing for healing. I told him, you go to the hospital tomorrow. Make sure they listen to your heart one more time before they open you up. Do you remember when Armin Morales was here of the Imperials? Uh, wasn't, that's exactly what happened to his wife. It was, it was his wife, right? They were getting, they, she was scheduled for major surgery, and he was just really impressed the night before. In a time of prayer, in a dream, he said, Make, he said, I want them to do one more scan. And before they opened her up, they did another scan, and all of her cancer was gone. She didn't have to have any surgery. Wouldn't it be great? Would you be okay with that? <laughs> now, we know this. I know you know it's not God's will for you to live with that heart murmur. Otherwise, you wouldn't have scheduled the surgery, right? God wants us healthy. Now, if it comes to the surgery, does that mean God doesn't want him well? Because if God doesn't want him well, well, we better cancel the surgery. I'm believing for the absolute best, which is the healing. But God is in this regardless of how it works. I'm not trying to speak doubt. I'm not trying to hedge my bets, you understand? I'm saying some people, when they come up and get hands laid on them, if they don't feel the healing right away, they stop the confession. They stop, well, guess that didn't work. Oh, really? Even Jesus, there, there, there was at least one incident where they were healed as they went. Okay? Don't get down. Just continue to believe God's word works. 
The other person I want to pray for is Jenny. And as I mentioned Wednesday night, this thing that, that had put her in a wheelchair came on her suddenly. Little numbness, little dizziness, next thing you know, the next thing you know, she's paralyzed from the neck down. And it's been how long now? Five years, almost five years. And you think, oh, looks like she's got a long road back. Oh, yeah? That thing came on her suddenly. I'm believing it's going to leave her suddenly. I mean, believe it. I believe it. Well, why hadn't it happened yet? I don't know. And I almost don't care. I just am concerned with what happens next. It's going to happen. It's going to happen suddenly. But I want you, how long do we have to keep speaking that? What if it was you? Are you going to speak it any less passionately tomorrow or the next day if it's you or your kid? What does it cost you to speak that passionately, faith-filled words every day till we see the manifestation we want? I want the whole body doing this. All right? So we're going to start today. After we pray for these two, and listen, while we're praying for them, you stand in faith for what you are believing for. I'm not going to have a full-on healing line here today, but when we're praying for these, the power of God, power of God is always present to be healed. So Todd and uh, Jenny, I want you to come up here. And I would like, uh, and Todd, if your family wants to come up here with you, that's fine. That's, that's entirely up to them. But I do want some men up here uh, with me as we pray for Todd. Jenny, whoever you want up here with you, and I would like some ladies to come up here. Beth, maybe you could go over there. Lay your hands on Jenny. Let me get some ladies up here to surround Jenny. And uh, just, uh, you know, the Bible talks about laying on of hands. If we, if I get Wednesday's message. There's nothing magical about that. It's just simply a point of contact. It's a way to honor God and obey Him in this. We're just going to pray. Uh, for a manifestation of God's healing power, we're going to pray for this family. I'm, it's so nice to see all the all Todd Douglas's family here today, and, and uh, this is the support and the love that's manifesting the room for that. And, uh, Jenny, I know you've 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 got family and, and friends that have been speaking over and loving you for a long time, uh, but there's there's just something wonderful about these moments. And as we pray for them, uh, I am also praying for you. If you've got, in fact, don't come up here, but if there's something you would like healing from, prayer for, right now, just raise your hand. All right? Look around you, fellow believers, and you don't have to, I'm not going to give you the microphone or anything, but just put, if you're, if you're around somebody, or if you see somebody nearby, just reach out and put your hand on them while we pray. Okay? And those of you who raise your hand, just believe, raise your hand again, make sure people see you. Make sure you've got somebody laying hands on you and believing with you. Move if you have to to join your faith with those people. And let's pray and believe. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for loving us enough, loving us so much that you took our sickness, you took our disease, our pain, our malfunctions, our, our disorder, and you laid all those things on Jesus Christ in the form of those stripes. Thank you, Jesus, for taking those things for us just as surely as you took our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you've taken our sickness, you've taken everything, all of our infirmities, and you've nailed them to the cross with our sin, that they have no place in us, they are not our portion. You have redeemed us from every aspect of the curse of the law. 
And so we receive healing. And I speak it over Todd and his heart and everything. Head to toe, front to back, side to side, inside and out. You are healed. Thank you, Father, for freeing us, delivering us from every sickness, every disease, everything that rises up against good health, Jenny, in every bone and muscle, every gland and organ, every blood vessel, every joint, ligament, tendon, nerve, cell, and tissue of our bodies and all the spaces in between. I thank you, Lord, that that healing belongs to every believer in this room. We know you love us. We know you loved us enough to give your son to die for us so that we could spend eternity with you. And your word clearly says that if you did not withhold Jesus, you have also with him freely given us all things. We, by faith, now speak and receive your healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Also come against anything like a spirit of fear, Lord, this is a tough thing. And we know that when Jesus took on flesh, he became acquainted with everything that plagues us. Uh, but these are things that, that, that are still, you know. You know what we're made of. You are mindful. You, you know that we're made of dust. But you've also not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. So we speak peace. We speak strength. We speak confidence over Todd and his family, and we come against that spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. All the time. He's got good plans for us. i got one more invitation uh, for prayer, and we're going to sing a song, and then we'll close. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.